Um, but it is just great to be here and be with you. I have felt welcomed. And um, I just want to say, too, that uh, sometimes, you know, in being in a church, um, you can kind of go in and out all the time in, the, in your church. And, and uh, I just want to say that sometimes it's good to have somebody from the outside come in. It's good for me as well um, to come in and, and just to see what is happening. And I just want to bear witness to you all in saying that the Spirit of God is alive here. And um, I can definitely sense that um, with all of you and just worshiping with you. And so it's just uh, it's great to be here in that way. And I just want to affirm you in that. Um, I want to say thanks to Keith. I know he's not here. He's probably going to be listening to this thing, though, and uh, checking me out. So, um, but I just want to say, man, you're a pastor. When I think of Keith Waldrop, there, there's one word that I think of, and that is passion. I mean, that guy has got some passion. Even just this video we saw here at the beginning here, he's like just can't hardly stay on the couch there. You know, he's just busting out. And, um, you know, he has so much passion that sometimes when he's talking, his little bits and pieces of passion just kind of like come out of his mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're standing up close to him and he's getting fired up. His passion is just kind of flaking out on you. You know, it's a little saliva mixed in there, but it's coming. He is so passionate and I, I love that about him. You're so privileged and fortunate to have a leader like Keith. Um, I've known Keith for a while and uh, just in this last year, been able to spend some time with him. Earlier this year, we're part of a, um, a kind of a small group of pastors that gets together twice a year and just kind of rally together and say, come on, man, let's keep on going. And, and uh, so anyways, we were spending some time together earlier this year. Um, we were going down um, to the Gulf Coast. And so I don't, I don't want to say beach. I'm just trying to say Gulf Coast and make it not sound as, as luxurious or whatever. But so anyways, we're going down to the Gulf Coast. And I swing by here and I pick up Keith and we're driving down. And, you know, Keith is just, we're having this great conversation. And I'm hearing about all you guys in the church and what's happening. And he is talking with passion, you know, and there's passion. It's getting out on my dashboard, you know, and it's all around me and stuff. And we're driving down and he's doing most of the talking and I'm just listening saying, yeah, man, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I see these blue lights come on behind me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, Keith, what, what happened? What do we do? And we didn't even know. And so uh, we get, you know, it's in one of these small towns. So we get over there. We pull over at a little gas station. And this guy comes. And, man, this officer, he had not heard any of Keith's sermons about forgiveness or mercy or grace or any of that. So, I mean, like five minutes, and I got a ticket. We're back on the road and everything. But we're so wrapped up in Keith's passion, didn't realize I was speeding and driving through a school zone and everything there. And, uh, but I tried to get him to expense it onto his church, and he wouldn't, wouldn't go for it, you know. But, uh, but I love your pastor, and I'm grateful um, to be here with you today. I was excited to hear um, just what you're doing in these months and just kind of walking through the New Testament. I mean, what a privilege that you would um, have to do that and kind of in a way like organize your, your spiritual closets. You hear about all these things, but kind of walk through and, and uh, put those together. And so I'm, I'm glad to, to just be a part of that. I feel like he kind of set me up a little hard there So uh, in, his, in his introduction. But... Um, so we're looking at, at 2 Thessalonians today, and I know you heard 1 Thessalonians a couple of weeks ago, and so we're going to kind of piggyback and jump right back in there for that. In my Bible, 2 Thessalonians is like maybe a page and a half, and uh, it's a little small book that's in here. Um, I'll tell you the trick. The best way to find 2 Thessalonians is to go to the table of contents at the very beginning 
and look right there. It's 919 in my little Bible. So um, you guys go ahead and make your way there to 2 Thessalonians. And while you're doing that, let me just kind of give you some background on on what's happening here. And, And you guys know this far that you've come through the New Testament, you know that a majority of these writings came from a, a gentleman named Paul, used to be Saul. And um, I just want to say before we get into this that, that these words and that these books and really these letters that were written to early Christian followers, that these are sacred words. I mean, these are letters that were written kind of at the core of Christianity when it was all starting out. And really, even these letters, specifically with Paul, are birthed out of a passion. Um, you know, I think about so much that how amazing it is that Paul is the one who is writing this. In essence, Paul was a terrorist. I mean, you could almost say he was the modern-day Osama bin Laden. I know that sounds crazy, and, and some people have a hard time taking that, but Paul, it was that serious with Paul. He was out to murder and kill those people who were followers of Christ, and he saw that as his calling and duty to do that. He was there um, at the stoning of Stephen. He would go house to house, and and, uh, he was in charge of going and finding women and children and families and putting them in jail, and this is who he was until he met Jesus. And his life radically changed. Just the fact that we have a letter written by this man that 2,000 years later that the church is built upon these words is such a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he does in our lives. And so Paul, I want to give us a little background on on how this church formed there um, in Thessalonica is the name of the little town that was there. And so here's what's going on. Paul and Silas, after Paul has this conversion, he cannot hold it in. I mean, he cannot stand it. And it is his life mission to lead other people to know the truth about Jesus. And so um, if we go to Acts 17, I'm not going to go there now, but just kind of want to talk you through. This is where we see it in Acts 17 that Paul and Silas, they show up in this town of Thessalonica. And so what they would usually do is they go to the synagogue where the Jews are worshiping. And so they go there and they begin to talk with the Jewish leaders and they're there on every Sabbath. And it says in Acts 17, they go there for three um, Sabbaths and they're there talking with these people and explaining and looking at the scriptures and saying, giving them this message that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And and a large majority of these Jews rejected their message, um, but it says that there were many others, many other Greek Um, people who followed and became believers. And there was also some prominent women, a large uh, number of these Greek followers. So it was a substantial number of people there that began to follow Jesus. But the more we read in Acts 17, and this is kind of what happened when Paul would go into places, man, it, it was in much opposition. There was much resistance to the gospel in this time. So much so that the Jewish leaders, what they did was they went and found like the kind of ragamuffin rough dudes in town. And they said, hey, guys, we want you to go, go downtown and start a riot. And so they got everybody riled up and saying all these things about Jesus and trying to act like they're these followers. And then the Jews, they go to the officials, the Roman kind of governor and the mayor, and they're like, man, these Christians, they're coming in. Look what they're doing. You know, they're breaking up the status quo. They're saying that they worship another king, a king other than Caesar. And so they go try to round up Paul and Silas, and they can't find him. They drag out another guy named Jason, and they take this guy, and they put him on trial, and they're not sure what to do with him. I mean, it's just all this upheaval and turmoil going on here. And in the middle of that, Paul and Silas had to leave 
Jason gets out on bond, and these, these Christ followers, they are galvanized by their suffering. They band together, and their faith grows, and their love for one another grows. And that is the context that this young church is in, that they are under fire. I mean, they're not widely accepted, and nobody's, you know, asking them to go out to big picnics, you know, all the time and stuff. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a gospel movement that is happening in a community with much resistance. And Paul is hearing about this. He knows what is going on, and he loves this church, and he loves these people and their faith, and he's hearing about that. So he begins to write these letters to them, and, in the, and, and he's also offering some corrections where of, of different things he's hearing on. So we're going to jump into, and there, there's really the thrust of about two main things in this book that he is offering some correction to. But before we get to that, I just want us to, to read kind of his opening thanks, Thanksgiving prayer and uh, this kind of gives you, get, gets you in on the heart of Paul for these people and who they are and um, the situation that they find themselves in. So this is 2 Thessalonians, just chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And it says this, that we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because of your faith is growing more and more. And the, lo- and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing This is going on in the midst of this turmoil and suffering here. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. And this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And that result is that you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering Man, word is spreading out about the Thessalonians and the strength of their faith and the way that they are standing firm in the midst of persecution that's going on there. And it's like, this is, if people are going to do this, man, they are all in. I mean, they are saying that there's another king in their life besides Caesar. And that is like kind of a death wish in this day and age. And they are doing it and hanging out. Their word is spreading. It's like invigorating the church. You know, for you and I, when we hear testimonies and stories of other people who are just flat out surrendered and giving their whole life to God, it does something in us. It's like, yes, man, that is it. That is what I want more of that. And that's what's happening in the New Testament out of this this little band of believers here. And so he goes on in his letter, and then he jumps into really kind of the thrust of what he wants to say to them because in the midst of this opposition and resistance, there's some very crafty people here who are trying to do all they can to kind of cause confusion in this little body of believers, to cause doubt in them. And that comes in the way of of people kind of impersonating letters and and trying to put false doctrine in there. And so that's where we pick up here in chapter 2. And so um, I just want to read to us a little bit what's going on here. Um, The beginning of chapter 2. It says this, that concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the the day of the Lord has already come. You see, we see evidence of this in some other uh, letters that he wrote as well, that there were some people that were writing these false letters and kind of saying they were from Paul and, and um, going out and saying, man, Jesus has already come, you know. Your behind has been left behind, you know. And, and it's like causing up this, this, this thing in them of like, man, well, if that actually happened, like, 
maybe this whole thing is a hoax, you know? Or maybe something is wrong with me. Maybe I'm not fully surrendered. Maybe I hadn't done it right or something, you know, that he has not come. And they are alarmed and unsettled by this. And Paul is speaking into them and saying, like, be on your guard. Don't be alarmed. Don't be unsettled. Remember what I told you. And then he goes on here and it says, verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion occurs occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Two things here. Until the rebellion occurs. This is also in, in, uh, in many times in some of your Bibles, it might even say the falling away um, that happens there. This is something that's referred to in Matthew 24. Jesus actually says this when he's talking about the signs of the end times, that there will be a season where there will be a great falling away and those who, who do not hold on to their faith and, and hold uh, firm in their faith. The other thing, the man of lawlessness is revealed. He goes on to say that he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that God, that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Two things happening here, the rebellion and then also this man of lawlessness coming on the scene here. That phrase, man of lawlessness, is seen in several other places through Scripture, especially when it's talking about end times, like this eschatology um, kind of stuff that's happening in Revelation uh, 13. It speaks to this a little bit. And this is also known as the Antichrist. That's a, a phrase and a word that might be a little more familiar to you. But he's saying... He's saying, guys, this is just as I taught you before when I was there. This is how the end times will happen. Don't be misled. Don't be shaken. Now, we're, getting, we're starting to tiptoe in some deep stuff here, aren't we? You know, And it's just a little murky here. But I, I just want to say this. That this is a place where many of us come, and we, try, we, we think through this, and then we just kind of pounce on this. And it's like, oh, man, what does this mean, and what time, and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know if you, you knew this, but the world was supposed to end last Saturday. May 21st, some of you have probably knew about that, read in the news about a gentleman in California who's been predicting this since 1993, and man, the news camp was there Sunday morning at his doorstep, if you can imagine, and uh, he was just like, I need a day, I need some time to think about this, and then he comes out on Monday and makes a statement, and well, now it's going to be in October, you know, later this year and, and doing that, but you know, in just the same way that there's, there's a lot of people, I mean, we kind of laugh about it. there's a lot of people who really got kind of sucked up in that in some hard ways, you know? And, um, and because we weren't really holding on to the truth here of what, what um, Paul is saying and what Christ is revealing in his word about what those times will be like. Now, I know that we can also uh, begin to try to calendar out how this is going to play, what comes first and what order, post-trib, pre-trib, all this kind of stuff. And I really, the more I look at this, that is not the essence of what Paul is trying to do here. And if he was being more clear on that, he would have written that in here. But the main thing that he is saying here is that Jesus, that Jesus is going to come. He is going to come one day. And these things are going to happen before he comes. And, you know, last Saturday I was hearing all this. And, you know, for those of you who, if any of you are on Facebook or, or Twitter or any of that kind of stuff, I was just listening and kind of following some comments that people were making through the day. And it was all fun and kind of joking. And everybody's like, ah, it's not going to happen. And in the middle of that, just in my spirit, I just remembered that, you know, yeah, but one day, he is going to come. He will come. He is coming again, you know? And, and we are waiting for that. 
And uh, he, that's what Paul is, is saying here to these Thessalonians, like, don't be alarmed, but he is going to come. And then I really think a, a key part of all this, of what he's trying to say is here in verse 8. You won't see this on the screen, but just hear these words or, or read them in your Bible. It says this, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overf- overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. That Jesus, when he comes, it's just going to be a deep breath. And this antichrist, lawless one, will be destroyed. That it's the power of Jesus and that we don't have to fear about what the future holds or anything like that. Because Jesus is our king and he is our savior. It's like this song that we just sang, you know, rulers will crawl before his throne that he is the ultimate king who is on the throne now. And, and we don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future or get all riled up about that. But we know that he is coming again to bring and rally his church and to usher them into a life eternal with him. So a little correction there, a little help for, for the Thessalonians in, uh, in just saying it's okay. You know, this, this hasn't happened. These things will happen when it comes and you'll know this. Now, another main piece that happens in this just short letter that he's writing to them is in chapter 3. And if you'll go ahead and turn there with me as well. This really begins in verse 6 here. And there was something else going on um, that kind of revolving around uh, Jesus' return as well. That it was also um, kind of leading people into a, a way of, of um, saying, you know what? Man, he's coming soon. And so I'm just going to sit back kind of watch ESPN all day long and not worry about anything. Don't, I'm not going to work anymore or not going to earn anything and, and that sort of thing. And that's what he speaks into here. So, so hear these words there. This is chapter 3. It says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example that when, when we were... We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day, night, and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we have uh, the right to such help, but in order that we may make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. You guys kind of see what's happening here? This is like some people, I mean, I, I kind of see this, man. There's probably some people who had a little seed of selfishness in them. And, and uh, man, this is a prime opportunity to just slide into that moocher kind of mold. You know what I mean? Just, just kind of living on everyone else. And some things were happening here. What it was doing, it was kind of sucking the life out of the body of Christ, the young body there. And, and people were having to work and, you know, put out for other, or other people who weren't providing for themselves or working in that kind of way. And so, um, number one, that was happening. Number two, this is not so great a witness, you know, to others who are looking at this body of Christ and saying, man, these are people who really believe and who are um, living and on a mission to share this, this news with the world. And you've got these people who are kind of just sitting around not doing anything. And so Paul, man, he hits this hard. He's like, don't associate with these people. Don't you remember when we were there, the kind of vigor that we worked with? You know, and not just working for the gospel, but working and laboring so that we didn't have to depend on anyone else when we were there. Even though we could have done that, but we set you an example. And so he's saying that, like, be ready, work, 
You know, it was a good thing. Working is a good thing for us. And I, I really, in looking at this short letter and, and kind of these two main thrusts of what Paul is writing to them, I, I think about us today. And that's the thing about God's word is so alive. And, you know, when Paul, when he wrote that, I mean, you, you talk about a man of passion. I mean, Keith Waldrop doesn't have anything on Paul. And the way that he handles um, things that he sees in the church and the way that he was spreading the gospel and the way that he lived his life. And I look at these words and I wonder, like, what does that mean for us today? You know, is there idleness that's in our lives? And I, I think about for most of us and many of us don't have the problem, likely not even in this body here of people who are like, you know, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and because, man, Jesus is coming any day now. And so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to kind of sit here and, hey, by the way, can we go to lunch this afternoon, you know? And then they show up and they don't have their wallet with them, you know? That sort of thing, it, it doesn't happen. It's not happening very much here in our culture. We're kind of in a different place. But I would say there's another kind of idleness that happens in our life today. You know, it's, it's like this thing where, you know, this, this early church, they were very concerned that, man, Jesus is coming tomorrow. And so we can just sit back and not do anything. And we live in a place where we're like, we're so comfortable that we don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't really even think about it so much. And we're just in this thing, you know, yeah, I know Jesus and I know the Lord. And so, you know what? I'm good to go. I'm just going to kind of sit back and relax and wait for him to come. You know, I'm going to work and do my thing and try to have a happy life here and all that. But, but you know, I'm just going to kind of throttle back, and I'm safe, and I'm good, and I'm just going to kind of wait for Jesus to come. And, you know, it's really no point in trying to get out there and work really hard because this whole world, you know, the whole saying, and some people embody this, that like this world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I, am I allowed to say that here? Okay. <laughs> I know I was about to get booted out here saying hell. But, you know, that... That kind of mentality, that, you know, the world is just going down the toilet. There is nothing left. All we can do is just kind of wait for Jesus to come. And when we take on that mentality, there's an idleness, a stillness, a non-movement, a shutdown of the movement of God, of what he wants to do. Because, see, man, these people right here, I'm telling you, these Thessalonians, these New Testament believers, for them to be a believer, they had no choice but to be all in. I mean, all the way. I mean, push. I'm going for it all, all of my life in to follow this Jesus. I have a new king of a new kingdom. And for you and me, so many of us, man, it's, it's just that heart of where we're like, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, but I'm also in the same world and I'm pursuing these things and some of these like counterfeit gods that are out there. And I think the message here is saying and don't be idle. Follow our example. He actually says this and back in chapter 2. It says this here in verse uh, 15. So then, brothers, stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. He's saying, look at the way that we lived. I mean, just the nature of Paul and Silas. Like they, they weren't content just hanging out back in Jerusalem. I mean, they're moving around the world. To spread this news. I mean, they are a sent people. They are on a mission. And when Jesus comes into our life and we give our life to him, man, he is calling us to join a movement, to be a part of a mission, to be a sent people where our whole life 
And it's not just about you know, what we do on a Sunday morning or affiliating ourselves with the church, but personally, that we get in on the mission. I think sometimes that so many of us, like those of us who, who are believers and who one day will be with the Lord in eternity, you know, that one day we're there, and I'm just so afraid of so many of us getting there and seeing the gravity of Jesus on the throne, of who he is, and having the regret of like, man, I should have gotten in the game. You know, of never having the thrill of risking it all and getting all the way into the game and, and living that completely surrendered, abandoned life. Like, I don't want that for us, for me or you or my family or my church. Like, because one day we will be there and we'll be like, man, we should have we bet it all. <laughs> you know, we should have just put all our chips in back there. How much more could we have done? That's the message, I think, that from here for us, for you and me today, is that to be encouraged, take heart, live not idly, but ones who are on a mission and a movement for Jesus Christ in the world, the way that these young Thessalonians were. Paul finishes up in his words in chapter 2, and he says this, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself God, our Father, who loved us by his grace and his eternal encouragement and his good hope. And these two things right here. May all that, Jesus Christ and God, the Father, the one who gives eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you. That's what this word is for you today, to be encouraged and strengthened, to be people who live on a mission, following in the line of these Thessalonians. And I know even right there now in Thessalonica, I mean, the church is still thriving there 2,000 years later. What a legacy and a heritage that we are joining in with in this movement. And so I just want to encourage you as this church and this body to embrace that to risk it all, to say, man, I am putting it all in. I'm going all the way. So will you guys pray with me? So Jesus, I just, I thank you for who you are and your grace and your love for us. And just like we were singing right before this message, Lord, that I give you all of me, all of me. And Lord Jesus, I know there might be some who, who have never done that, even a part of themselves. And, and Lord, would you just guide them in the way by your spirit this morning and your word of just saying, come home to me. And for those of you, if, if that's you, I just want to encourage you just to simply say that, Lord, I give up being God of my own life. And I want you to be God of my life. It hasn't gone so well with me being God. So I give myself to you. And, and for many others here, Lord, we just want to give ourselves to you in greater measure this morning, that you would fill us with your spirit and you would lead us in the way of being people of the movement, people who would fall in line with Paul and others who are saying that Jesus is the Christ. 
like he has changed my life. And so just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and guide us as we just continue to sing. We offer ourselves to you. Would you guys just stand with us as we respond to that message? Church. 